Shannon, do you give this league any shot? Oh, my goodness. I think in theory, it's a great idea because we realize that the NCAA is, is making tons and tons of money. We see them give huge buyouts, $10 million, $12 million. Coaches can go whenever they want to. They can leave, got a five years left. They can pick up and leave with no penalty. They don't have to sit out. So we understand that it's slanted in favor of the NCAA. LeVar is very anti-establishment. He's always going to go against the norm. But LeVar is all about LeVar. Once LeVar can no longer control the situation, mm -hmm. that's when LeVar will act. He couldn't control the situation in high school. I'm a homeschool mellow. Mm -hmm. He couldn't control the length of the suspension at UCLA. I'm taking Jello out of that. I'm putting. I'm gonna put him in a situation where I can control the situ, uh, the environment. Now the G League already exists, Skip. Yep. So you 18 years old, as opposed to being 19 for an, you got to be at least 19 to go into the NBA draft. But if you want to come right out of high school and go to the G League, you can do that. You make you what is it? Uh, 19 to 26 thousand plus benefits and housing. Not a bad deal. He gonna play what three to four thousand dollars a month. But for some kids that want to be one and done. Their dream is to play at Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, not play in your crappy league. Now, I wish you the best. I hope, I hope it's a success. Now, good luck trying to get NBA. <laughs> good luck trying to get NBA scouts to come see, come see your guys, LeVar. Well, if he got enough of them, I think they would come watch. Skip. Hmm? If that's look, who knows? They might be taking a pay cut from going to the one and done where they were awesome. normally going to go. Yeah. So. I wish him the best. I, I, I'm all for anybody that's going to try to do something, although it's, it hasn't been done. That does, Hey, people didn't think Google was going to work. They said uh, uh, Steve Jobs, rest his soul, crazy, coming up with the Macintosh. Oh, guess what? Some of, my grandfather said, boy, the only thing worse than failure is not trying. Mm. Try it. Mm. We're thinking, hey, what if it is a success? Then he's a genius. If it doesn't, it just he won't be the first guy that came up with an idea that was weren't that wasn't successful. So I got no problem with it. If he wants to do it, so so be it. But I just don't. I, it just for me, if he had thought about this, Skip, prior to all this happening, I got no problem with it. If why uh, uh, Melo is at high school and Jello's at UCLA and he's trying to formulate a plan, mm -hmm. I got no problem with it. It wasn't until he could no longer control the situation that he started coming up with these brain, these ideas yep. that he can control. That's true. So that's what it seem, appears to me. But I wish him the best. <sighs> so do I. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Hey now, how's it going, everybody? Your pal Tim Hanlon here. And it's Good Seats Still Available, the curious little podcast that is devoted to what used to be in professional sports. Thank you for finding us. We appreciate it. And hopefully uh, you will be rewarded uh, with a very intriguing episode this week as we get into the story of the Junior Basketball Association. Yeah, all the way back, we're going to go to 2018. My goodness. So far back, I can hardly remember. Actually, this is a story I really kind of didn't follow very um uh, very diligently, but um, I am fascinated by it. Uh, and uh, it is the story of largely uh, LeVar Ball, who, as uh, you sports fans may know, of course, uh, is the father of three dynamic basketball players and uh, and a very interesting and convoluted story 
uh, of their history thus far. Lonzo Ball, of course, of the uh, Chicago Bulls and now nursing a it looks like a season ending inter- injury for the coming season. Uh, Leangelo Ball, who uh, plays, uh, I believe, in the G League now, and LaMelo Ball, who's uh, doing it up for the uh, Charlotte Hornets, the second version of that uh, franchise. Uh, a controversial family uh, and arguably more controversial father in LeVar Ball, uh, full of uh, intrigue and lots of different sort of uh, uh, permutations of stories and all that kind of stuff, uh, uh, setting up shop in Lithuania for a bunch of months and uh, pulling his son out of UCLA and, and sort of uh, trashing uh, the the system and the, the team there, uh, homeschooling the kids and, and, and frankly, uh, pushing uh, the narrative that uh, his sons, LeVar's sons, uh, being uh, perhaps better than some of the best to ever play the game in the NBA. All full of bravado, uh, but entrepreneurially so. And uh, very interesting uh, approaches to branding uh, and, uh, and pomp and uh, and circumstance around uh, the talent of his sons. Uh, and the JBA, the Junior Basketball Association, which is the focus of our conversation this week, uh, was very much part of this I don't know, you could call it sort of ahead of its time uh, personal branding strategy that uh, LeVar uh, designed, essentially, and uh, his sons have done quite well for themselves thus far. Uh, But we're going to get into the story of the JBA, which was uh, an interesting uh, component of this this storyline behind the success of of the three Ball brothers. Uh, And uh, our guest this week... Brandon Williams was there. He was the 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 guy essentially uh, ahead of the all of the PR and the marketing uh, behind this uh, hastily assembled uh, yet uh, full season playing uh, JBA Junior Basketball Association, and um, that clip kind of sets it up uh, from uh, Undisputed. That's the uh, talk show on FS1. Uh, with uh, Shannon Sharp, or formerly the Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless at the time, uh, from two, uh, December 2017, and uh, uh, the it, this, the scene gets uh, sort of set by uh, what they're debating there or discussing, and that's uh, Lavara Ball basically saying, "Look, I'm going to create a league of talented kids in high school uh, who uh, are either still playing in high school uh, or are getting ready to graduate, and for whatever reasons, don't want to go to the NCAA." Uh, and ply their trades there and uh, get on the radars of the NBA scouts. I'm going to create a league, and I'm going to center around at least one, maybe two of my kids, and I'm going to give them a showcase. And now, yes, if, you, if you're if you nodding your head in, in understanding, well, you know, you, you fast forward a few years to 2023 where we live today, and you've got stuff like Overtime Elite and the G League Ignite team, which essentially – are expressions of what LeVar Ball and his friends were trying to do with the JBA, and that is give kids an alternate path than NCAA basketball and all of its, shall we say, idiosyncrasies. A lot's changed in five years, uh, and it's pretty amazing how fast things have changed. And uh, as we get into our conversation this week with with Brandon Williams, who has a brand new book out called The JBA League, A League of Our Own. You'll hear the story of its uh, strange creation, uh, its uh, interesting times uh, during the course of the 2018 and only season of this league. Uh, But also you're going to get, frankly, a bit of a sense of 
this was kind of ahead of its time and uh, arguably is now proving itself as a model uh, in the expression of the overtime elite in basketball and uh, the G League's Ignite uh, program uh, in hoops as a, as a, as a feeder component uh, to the league that uh, does uh, aim to be uh, a, a starter league, if you will, for the NBA. Uh, the uh, the case in point will be made uh, by Brandon Williams and me in our conversation that uh, the JBA, uh, ill-fated as it might have been and, and arguably <laughs> strangely uh, constructed, uh, maybe hastily so, I don't think anybody denies that, uh, maybe had some germs of some ideas there that uh, indeed uh, have been a part of the changing landscape when it comes to collegiate into pro athletes. And, and NIL, I guess, is probably a part of that dynamic as well. So let's go back and we're going to rewind it to really 2017 when the idea kind of uh, got going. And in t- 2018 was when this league, the JBA, the Junior Basketball Association, got underway. That's the focus of our conversation this week with our guest, Brandon Williams, coming up in uh, just a moment's time. Um, uh, before we get there, I want to uh, call out, uh, let's see, let's call out one of our uh, our friends, uh, our old friends. How about OldSchoolShirts.com? Uh, OldSchoolShirts.com, promo code GOODSEATS, 10% off all of your purchases, and uh, new slash old stuff coming all the time. Uh, literally, there was uh, just a, a note uh, I got uh, from uh, P.F. Wilson and his friends there at OldSchoolShirts.com. Uh, this week, uh, launching a, a whole bunch of uh, professional softball shirts. If you remember the uh, Detroit Caesars uh, and the uh, Minnesota Goofies, this is uh, a, a set of softball leagues, professional fast pitch softball that uh, were slow pitch softball too, I think. Uh, in the late 1970s, if you remember uh, the first ever live sporting event broadcast on ESPN back when it started, uh, in 1979 was a live broadcast of a professional pro softball. I just was redundant there. Softball match uh, live and in, uh, in living color in your cable sets. Uh, those uh, shirts are uh, gorgeous to look at. Some great logos and some head scratching names. Like I said, the Minnesota Goofies. Uh, those and just tons and tons and tons more of all kinds of teams and leagues no longer with us, as well as all kinds of pop culture references at OldSchoolShirts.com. Again, promo code GOODSEATS, 10% off all of your purchases. Check them out regularly. Some great stuff there. And they are actually very attractively priced. They don't uh, gouge you uh, for their quality shirts with uh, ridiculous prices. No, no, no. Check them out, OldSchoolShirts.com. Thank you to PF and his band of merry women and men, there at OldSchoolShirts.com. And again, one more time, that promo code GOODSEATS for 10% off all of your purchases. All right, let's waste no more time. Here is our very intriguing and I learned a lot conversation. With Brandon Williams, we're going to talk about the Junior Basketball Association. And let's get inside the mind, if it's possible to do so, of LeVar Ball and this entire, uh, uh, the shenanigans, if you will, that, that occurred uh, just five years ago. Here's our conversation that we had just last week. Please, as always, enjoy. Maybe for our audience, you could uh, give a little bit of background about yourself, how you came to this JBA story, and then maybe we'll get to sort of the 
the beginnings of your involvement, which probably requires a little bit of an early backstory about LeVar Ball and, and all that stuff. Sure. Well, first, uh, thank you for having me. Um, definitely honored to be on your platform and on this podcast. Um, so just a, a little bit of background. I'm a former educator. I taught middle school for eight years, coached basketball for over 10 uh, so, you know, being in you know, education, you know, mentorship, teaching, coaching, all of the above was uh, something that was a huge part of my life. And, um, you know, I initially, you know, started my own website back in 2014, where I basically just wanted to talk about any and everything sports related. You know, I'm a huge sports, you know, fanatic, um, you know, just can't really get enough of, you know, just like a lot of people just like to talk about sports, but also give my perspective and opinion on a lot of different things. Um, you know, so that kind of parlayed me into being able to, to work my, my, my skills into a, an Alabama football publication. Um, I'm a Alabama graduate as well. Um, and I was able to, to partner up with, um, you know, um, my partners that own a, a publication called touchdown Alabama and um, we were able to kind of go from what was once a print publication to, you know, one of the the leading um, digital Alabama football formats um, from a, a beat perspective, basically. Um, you know, and then that kind of, you know, I know that you want to ask it more of an in-depth question, but that kind of translated into getting me into where I was, you know, starting to talk about LeVar Ball um, as the time kind of went on. Um uh, so I kind of let you do your thing to kind of, you know, tee that up for that. But um, that's just a little bit of background. You know, I'm a, a husband, father. Um, but but yeah, that's kind of some of the little background about myself. So so it sounds like you were sort of uh, veering towards sort of the journalistic side of things, whether that be coverage, say, of teams or certainly the opinion, the opinion part of it. And as a, we'll get to in the story, uh, you were even part of the announcing crew for this uh, JBA league, which will sort of get into. So uh, yeah. I guess the question there is, um, how do you become involved or at least aware of, let's call it, I mean, because he's intertwined with this whole thing, the LeVar uh, Ball story and uh, the beginnings of of this league that requires a bit of background, right? Uh, it didn't sort of right. pop up overnight at the same time. And I'm curious, of course, how you became both aware as well as involved. Right. So a uh, very good question. So 2017 was when the whole LeVar Ball, Big Baller brand fiasco, theatrics, whatever you want to call it, kind of, you know, hit the, the the media and the entire world by storm. And, you know, when I first got wind of him, probably like most people, you know, he's making some pretty outlandish claims about, you know, his son Lonzo being better than Steph Curry, which, you know, you know, any father, you know, most fathers, you know, would you know definitely want to pump up their sons and, you know, so I was like, what is he talking about? You know, you know, I didn't really even know a whole lot about Lonzo because, you know, he went to UCLA. You know, I'm way over here on the East Coast where I live now. Uh, so I didn't really watch UCLA basketball. They haven't hadn't really been that relevant. So but I heard the name. I knew I knew the name. And then shortly after that, you know, his youngest son, LaMelo, like just scored 92 points, you know, and I was like 92 points. And they were talking about he was cherry picking. So. Like my first introduction wasn't really like the like the best introduction, you know, so I kind of had some not so great, you know, viewpoints on him. 
but but you're but, but you're but this is this is hitting your sports awareness radar, right? You're, you're learning like everybody else the bravado and 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 the right. curious stories about the kids playing, right? Exactly. So he goes on Undisputed with uh, Skip and Shannon at the time, and you know he does an interview, and I'm like, let me let me just see what this guy has to say, you know. And he starts talking about you know the reason why he says what he says. And he starts talking about, you know, the big baller brand and, and the ownership aspect and, and, and how, you know, you know, going into a situation like the NBA or whatever sports league with your own brand and like my entire thought process or everything that, that you can think of associated with what I thought about him completely changed. Um, And like, he like had me like hooked, like from that moment on, like I was, you know, researching anything and everything I could find about him and Big Baller Brand, and I was I was in, I was hooked. You know, from that moment, um, so I started going on on these little rants on my personal Facebook page, just like telling everybody, like, "Come on, y'all, we need to get behind this. This is exactly what we should be doing." You know, this is a black man that's you know trying to teach us how to do this right. You know, we should be supporting you know black businesses, all this type of stuff. And I'm like making post after post after post, um, like almost like preaching to people. You know, but it was like in huge support. Um, and I'm like giving like updates on whatever is in the media. So if the media like puts some sort of negative spin, I'm like basically trying to counter it. So fast forward um, sometime in the fall, there was, you know, I can't remember the exact date. And a lot of this is in the book that I that I wrote. This is I'm um, sorry. This is fall of 2017. Yes. Okay, so, you know, he he um he announces that, you know, he's, you know, pulling Leangelo out of UCLA after the China incident or whatever. He's going to start his own league eventually, but he's going to go all the way to Lithuania. So I'm making another long post on Facebook. So my sister chimes in. She said, Brandon, why don't you just put this on your blog? Like, why are you doing all these long posts all the time? Like, I guess, you know, she and everybody else probably had enough at that time. So I was like, man, light bulb kind of went off in my head. It's like, you know, she's right. Like, I could you know, I could say a lot of this stuff. Like I do have experience writing a lot of articles. I could, I could put this on my own website. So I like took my former website and like kind of just revamped the entire thing to where it's not just all sports. It's literally nothing but ball family content. Like that was it. Um, so I launched it like pretty much like the day that they went over to Lithuania, like somewhere early into January, 2018. And I just kind of hit the ground running, just, you know, writing article at the article that I could think of just giving my own positive spin to whatever negative um, story that may have came out about them. So fast forward a little bit, you know, they kind of got, got wind of some of my content. And the first, the first big part of that was on February 9th, I believe I wrote a story about LeVar cause he had just announced that he was, you know, about to start a water company in addition to other stuff that big baller brand was a part of. So I'm like water, that's a big business. If you can, make it work right. So I, I wrote an article and the headline was something around LeVar Ball could potentially be a billionaire with Big Baller Brand Water, something to that effect. And Big Baller Brand at that time, they never retweeted anything from, they they weren't like the, the account that just retweeted anything that you tagged them in or whatever. Like they would retweet a couple ESPN, Slam Magazine. It was like two or three select accounts and that was it. And then one day, that day, I just, like normal, press publish on, on my website, went about my business. And then I, like, checked my my analytics, and, like, they just, like, spiked, like, spiked abnormally high. And I was like, what in the world is going on? Like, this is not a bad thing, but I'm just like, what happened? So I go to Twitter, and I find out that the Big Baller Brand account retweeted my story. 
And then I didn't even realize the day the, until the next day that LeVar actually retweeted it first. And then the big baller brand account retweeted it after. So he retweeted it and then they retweeted it. And I was like, okay, I think I have something here. Um, so to answer your question about how I even got, you know, enthralled or uh, thrown into the JBA, um, they they were having trials in April um, of 2018. And I'm over here in North Carolina and the closest that I could get to was Atlanta. So I said, okay, you know, I'm on these guys' radar. They, you know, LeVar, he's been on camera because they had a, a reality TV show on Facebook that they had the camera was showing him like on my Twitter timeline, reading my tweets. Uh, so I'm like, okay, he knows who I am. Let me, let me just drive to Atlanta and just show my face and hopefully I can run into them and see if they will let me be a part of something that they have going on. So long story short, I go to Atlanta on a whim. Um, you know, I, kind of worked the event a little bit. And you know, I talked to Alan, who was LeVar's director of Big Baller Brand at the time. And, um, you know, after the event was over, you know, he was like, hey, you want to come come to, to lunch with us? And I was like, yeah. So the rest was history from there. All right, let's let's back up before we sort of get into the, the, the nitty gritty here. So sure. what is it about this guy, LeVar Ball, that that is that, that, if you will, and I think your words, turned you around or kind of it got you sort of, moving in a more positive and 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 supportive direction because it would seem to the outsider right that uh a lot of this a lot and i think a lot since then right too a lot of this is bravado a lot of uh you know hype uh it, it, almost manic to a point right got a water brand there and the big baller thing and the high price sneakers there and i'm going to take my kids i'm going to play in lithuania to give them a better you know versus the I, it, it sounds like it's a lot like how, how do you sort of take all of that sort of uh uh manic bravado shall we say and, and sort of see um opportunity and uh and positivity in all of that well i was looking at the bigger picture and for me you know you know minorities we this is not something that was typical especially when you're talking about getting into a, a a shoe and apparel space, you know, like literally like that was a threat, maybe a small threat, but it had to start from somewhere to the big a, a shoe, apparel, shoe apparel companies, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour at the time. Um, and when it first, the wave first hit, like it was literally like it, it took the entire sports world by storm. And I was like, this could be absolutely revolutionary that we actually see a 18, 19 year old rookie come into the league with his own brand and his own signature shoe. Like this was something I had never seen. I, ne I didn't think I'd ever see anything like that. You know, and it started thinking like, what if LeBron would have did this? What if uh, uh, who else was bigger? Uh, Kobe or somebody like what if they would have done something like that? You know, like who knows? Like LeBron, he signed a billion dollar lifetime deal with nike but i mean if if he's already if he already would have decided to come into the league as big and hyped as he was at 18 who knows i mean so i was like man this is something that is so unprecedented and he is like just saying basically screw everybody else who thinks otherwise who wants us to sign with nike or adidas or under armor like we're going to do our own thing like it just spoke to my spirit in a way that i hadn't, I hadn't been inspired like that I can't even tell you the last time I've been inspired in that type of way. Um, and it just moved me. I was completely moved 
Um, and I just wanted to be a part of it in some kind of way. Well, that may, that may actually makes a whole lot of sense, right? Um, I, but but it also is predicated on uh, a belief, right, that these three kids of his, uh, relatively unknown, right, prior to this, sort of all of this, right. yet with some buzz and 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 some stats, right, and you know, getting some some scouting stories out there, um, it still feels a, a bit of a stretch, right, where these three unknown kids or two kids and one coming through the pipeline. Um, I mean, all of this sounds really impressive and really compelling if there's like if the talent of these kids is part of the of the mixture. Right. So I right. guess I guess the the skeptic would say and, and this is my fault for not sort of having paid a dramatic amount of attention back when this was sort of happening. But it's really it does it it you, you one has to really believe a lot of things for this to be real. I, I get it from a business perspective, but if the kids aren't like worth it. You know, if the kids aren't all that, um, you know, a big baller brand and all that stuff may, um, I don't know, it seems it seems like a, a lot to kind of hang your hat on to believe that's going to sort of all pan out. Right. And th- that was the beauty of it, because, you know, the hype was was real. And I think when they first saw it, you know, I don't know the exact day or time that they started the big baller brand. I want to say it was sometime in 2016, but it started with just some t-shirts and they were just selling out every venue that they were having a high school game on. And so you got three high school kids that are like drawing like college game crowds. It was like ridiculous. They had lines out of the door. Um, then you launch a website um, and you start selling these uh, t-shirts and sweaters or whatever, like in your, from your house. And it gets so big to the point where you start to build a warehouse you know, um, so there was something, you know, already there um, to make you say, OK, we have something. Let's let's go even even further with this. Um, and not like to your point, I mean, Lonzo was he was really good. Like he was projected to be at worst than the second overall pick, which he ended up going number two to the Lakers. So you go to one of the biggest markets in in the entire NBA and the whole sports world, like it, it lined up almost perfectly for them to be able to launch this and, and to do it in, in, in the way that they did. Now you can argue whether they did it too fast and it wasn't as, as, pre- as prepared as they probably could have been. That's, that's an argument that one can make, but in terms of the idea and the concept, like, like going back to what I said, like I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around why this wasn't done sooner, you know? Um, and to, to be able to see that, okay, I believe so much in my children that they're going to be the first ones to do this. You know, I have three potential stars, you know, one, you know, start off as on that trajectory. And then you have the youngest one who obviously he is now, he has his own shoe with Puma, but you know, it was, it was the the thought that this could, this could be what it could have been. Um, and I think that the dream of it, the, 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 uh, the story of it was what encapsulated everybody in that, Includes myself. So, so in other words, this is this is a, a notion that why not, you know, work towards, uh, you know, the branding and uh, the ancillary revenues and and all that before, you know, w- don't have to wait necessarily until you go through a college career. You hopefully make it get into the NBA. You sign that big contract and you start working for the man, so to speak, right? In the NBA and all that stuff, right? This is almost a, uh, I don't know, a recognition that 
there's some inherent talent here. If if a father's instinct is to be believed, uh, good stuff to come. Why not start the business models now without sort of all the, uh, you know, w- without sort of the, without having to wait, so to speak. Now the 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 the, the other side of that coin, though, is. I want to say paying one's dues, but it's also um, it also sort of smacks against, I guess. Uh, and and I know this is hard to, to, to digest now and just five years later, but amateurism. Right. Where does high school and or collegiate play? Plus this commerce stuff that that LeVar's got you know in mind. It seems like that's headed for a collision course. Right. Because it's so brand new. Well, yeah, I mean. Now you have this uh, name, image, and likeness NIL that's that's taken the the NCAA by storm. Where these kids are 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 doing exactly what Lavar was hoping his own sons would be able to benefit from by having their own brands in 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 college. Um, who knows what type of valuation that they would have gotten on themselves had this been a thing six five six years ago when he was trying to kind of implement something like that while his kids were in college. Um, but nowadays, I mean, you're seeing, you know, some of these guys get, you know, upwards of seven, eight figure deals uh, as college students. You know, this wasn't even a, a thought, you know, back when he was doing it. Um, but I think, you know, he was one of the first to kind of really push the envelope um, to uh, to open up the door for, you know, people to say, hey, man, like, you know, why should we have to wait until we get into the NBA or whatever our professional uh, sport is? And profit off of, you know, like you mentioned, you know, building up our own commerce and business. You know, why should we have to wait? You know, we're able to profit now. Like, why does one entity get to decide who can profit and who can't? You know, it's really not, you know, just it's it's, it's not um, um, it's, it's it's not what the quote unquote American way should be or it's, it's never not even built upon those principles. But there was an entity basically controlling saying that, oh, you know, this has to be amateurism while they're profiting off of these same amateurs selling jerseys and all types of stuff. Um, and it was just a big double standard that eventually, you know, uh, turned on its head. And and now we have uh, the floodgates have been open, um, you know, so you can I don't want to say you give him direct credit for that, but you can, you know, point to him as an individual, a key individual that um, kind of helped, you know, knock the door or kind of help push the door down a little bit more than what everybody else is already kind of knocking on it. Well, okay. So, so walk us through where you were sort of, so, you know, there's a lot of sort of moving pieces to this entire story and, and we certainly don't have time to sort of get in, into it here, but it's, it, there's plenty of, plenty of ink spilled on, on how this sort of, this whole thing sort of came about, but let's talk about Lithuania because the, the, the rationale of LeVar and his, and, and his sons was basically an amalgam of, hey, the UCLA thing wasn't working out for one of them. He's got, you know, he wants to kind of be more in control of the kid's destiny, um, perhaps creating a platform or uh, being unencumbered, shall we say, by the NCAA or the current United States system and going to Europe, in particular Lithuania. Um, maybe a little bit of background as to what was going on there, because this is also, frankly, around the time that the seeds of this JBA was coming into play as well. Yeah, no, that was uh, quite the the curveball. Um, and I wasn't really expecting or really I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, I don't think anybody was could have could have thought that, you know, his 
middle child, Leangelo, would have, you know, put himself and his family in a situation where a, a move like that would have had to be made. And I kind of touched on that a little bit in the book as well. Um, you know, but before that, he actually pulled LaMelo out of high school, which kind of, you know, spearheaded something because he needed somewhere to play. You know, so the next thing was, OK, you know, Leangelo gets in this trouble. So now both of these guys need to play and they need to play fast. So what's the next thing I need to do? Well, let's if they're not if there. There's nothing like this in America for, you know, two teenage kids to that are really good to play outside of high school and college. Well, let's go overseas. And the only few countries or, or places that would that that were available was Lithuania. And what I didn't know, and I was, you know, pretty ignorant to this, was that, you know, the league that they were playing in was actually one of the top leagues in, in the entire world. Um, they weren't playing on one of the, the top teams, <laughs> um, but the league itself was uh, was pretty reputable. Um, but you still have a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old, basically, um, 18, 19-year-old, trying to find them, themselves in a fully-fledged professional league and you have a a father of a big brand, you know, basically saying, "Okay, this is how I want things to go." So it was a lot of moving pieces that that were that was taking place. But the biggest part of that was, I need my boys to play somewhere, and I need them to to remain relevant um, in the eyes of the basketball community. So that's where Lithuania comes in. While I'm working on this whole JBA league to kind of get at least one of them ready for that. So in essence, what's what's happening here is that there is little to no, at least in his mind, place for kids literally who either can't or don't want to go through either the high school or certainly the college route mm -hmm. to make that next step into presumably the greatest basketball league in the world, the NBA. Um, right. But but the G League, then known as the D League did exist around this time, didn't it? Or wasn't there a developmental league of sorts that the NBA was trying to get off the ground at that time? Or was it, was that still, why, why was that potentially uh, based on your knowledge, not an option? Cause it seems like the NBA for years has been trying to kind of create that separate parallel alternate path into the league. Right. Um, I can't speak to all of the nuances of that, but I do know that the G League, you know, they, they they like, you know, most professional leagues have some sort of a entry requirement. So, you know, the NBA in and of itself has a uh, has a age requirement as well as, you know, you have to be so many years removed from high school before you can even participate. So I, I don't think either one of them fit that fit both of those. Um you know, with uh, Leangelo, the one who got in trouble in UCLA, I don't think he was out of high school long enough. Um, um, he may have fit the age requirement, being you know uh, almost nineteen. Um, but it, it was it was some factors that that were similar to that that I'm sure that wouldn't it wouldn't have played to have both of them joined. And they, the whole plan was to have both of them be a part of you know playing together. Um, and 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 that was where, but. You mentioned you make a good point, and we might be jumping ahead just a tad, because the uh, the G League, you know, they were actually trying to work something similar to what the JBA League model was doing, which is where this this uh, this program that they 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 that they implemented literally like right after we finished our season, which basically stated that you know top 
um, high school prospects or or if you don't want to go to college, you know, you can join the G League for uh, a six figure salary, basically, um, if you're like a, a top level prospect, you know, not just for anybody. It was literally for like it was it was basically what the, the JBA League was trying to attract. You know, we were trying to attract those high profile kids who said, you know what, I can go to college if I want to. But I really just want to focus on my craft and get better and get paid and then go to the NBA. Like that was literally what the concept was. And that's exactly what the G League did. And they they announced that very shortly after we 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 finished our first season. Um, yeah. So, so you're mentioning it's 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 uh, the, what they call the uh, the G League Ignite, which essentially is its own franchise, if you will, right. within the league. And you're right. And right? it is absolutely a direct line on the, the timeline from the 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 one year and arguably with an asterisk right because it's not fully been it's not been fully disbanded yet this this jb jba thing right but um we'll get we'll get to that but the the notion uh of doing that creating an alternate path um i mean prior to that the g league i think said you had to be like 19 years old or there had to be there were a couple of still uh, 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 requirements to your point uh, earlier on, right? Where the Ignite thing really kind of just sort of uh, essentially does away with that. But obviously it's only limited to one team. That's a roster of what? Maybe 10, 11 players. Uh, but I guess it's a door opening, right? Per se, uh, right. that, that the, the JBA essentially kind of uh, forced its way open to, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's something that, you know, we we took you know a lot of pride in. You know, I know I can speak for myself in saying that, that, you know, we were pioneers in this whole, you know, alternative route to the NCAA, you know, concept. And now you have the overtime elite, which actually just had two twin brothers that got drafted in the top five or six in this past NBA draft. They really took pretty much almost. Lime, I mean, the exact same, you know, model that we had. Exactly. Um, and you know, kudos to them. You know, I don't have any any issue with it, with that. Um, but I want people to know that, you know, there was a league that started before these other ones kind of kind of did that. We were the first to to, you know, provide this for 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 players who wanted to have an alternative and say, you know what? Yeah, the NCAA is cool. You know, college basketball is cool. However, you know, I don't really see myself, you know, sitting in the classroom. That's not my thing. I just want to play basketball and focus on basketball and 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 get paid for it. And if I make it to the NBA, great. If not, I can continue on with my professional basketball career. And that was what the the concept was supposed to be and what we and what we implemented. You know, so you know, if you if you give them kudos and you say, hey, G League and Ignite and, and Overtime Elite. Just make sure you also, you know, give the JBA league its flowers and its respect and its notoriety, because we were the first to do it. Yeah, that is, and that's really that's really important. And again, to, for for those who are unaware of that, I mean, the overtime elite system uh, began in in uh, in twenty twenty one and has been, I guess you would make make the argument is is a, a almost like a full time sort of, uh, I wouldn't call it a league. It's probably more of a combine. Maybe it's sort of a, a league per se, whereas the ignite thing in in the uh, in the G league is a team. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's unquestionable that uh, that those two enterprises and I, and I I got to think frankly they're they're going to be more uh, and oh, perhaps yeah. in other sports as well too. Uh, NCAA football probably could benefit from a challenger or two in in this regard. So, but let's talk about the JBA f- coming finally into into play. We're we're talking about early 
late 2017, early 2018, you're kind of in the mixing bowl. You're a little bit, you're on a radar there with, with team ball and, and, and such. Um, the Lithuania thing essentially kind of comes crashing to a halt and, and it's almost like LeVar is got to figure out yet another place for his kids to play. Why do you think a league and how does this, this thing come together and, and how do you get more specifically involved and I'm assuming maybe a paycheck or two. Yeah, it was a, it was a wild ride, man. Um, and I told you, I went to the the tryout in Atlanta and, you know, I went out to lunch with them afterwards. And, you know, the, the next step with that was, you know, to have a, a phone call with Alan, like I mentioned, who was the, at that time, the director of big baller brand, he kind of oversaw pretty much every aspect of those different phases of the business, you know, whether it's the, the brand itself, the JBA league and, they were coming out with the water company, rims and tires, all types of stuff. So he was the director and he, he ran pretty much all of those different entities. Um, So we had a conversation um, a few days or so after um, our, our face-to-face meeting. And it it was about two, two, at least two hours long. And, um, you know, he asked me where he felt I could fit. And I kind of just told him what I thought. Uh, I asked some people what they thought, and they said, hey, you'd probably be good at public relations or that type of thing. You know, you do a lot of writing and say a lot of positive stuff. Little did I know what public relations really entailed um, and that I had zero experience in being an actual PR director. Um, But that's, you know, we can get to that later. Um, But that's essentially what we fell on. Um, And that was probably the, the conversation. I can't remember the exact date off the top of my head, but you know, the end of the conversation is like, okay, when can you come to, can you come to LA this weekend? We have a, a big meeting with all the staff. Um, Leangelo and, and LaMelo, they're coming back in town from Lithuania. We're having like a come uh, coming home party for them. Can you make it? So I fly out to LA and I meet with the JBA staff, which I didn't know up until that point was literally like a hand, like five, six people. Like that was the entire staff. Like in terms of the ones who were going to kind of help create and get this league off the ground, it was six, seven people, which two of them actually, you know, ended up leaving. Uh, so, you know, you're talking about creating an entire league with a handful of people. Um, and not only that, that meeting was on May 3rd, May 4th, somewhere in there, May 5th, somewhere in there. And the first game was June 21st. So you're talking about a week and I mean, a month and a half to, to, to uh, from first meeting until game one, like that's that's the timeline, you know. That's what we had to work with to make sure we had marketing uh, situated, to make sure that we had all the the the, the players and the t- and the coaches sorted out, um, and you know, getting the arenas and everything, like all the the the, the aspects of creating the league and making sure that it, it can function properly. Like there was stuff that we were still trying to tie up loose ends up until tip off basically like it was literally the one of the most stressful things that i've been a part of um and i don't think a lot of people really know what we really did to get all that into fruition it was a lot um i never so did any where, where i'm sorry where right. was i mean were you did you like were you in an office like were there like the eight or ten of you sort of like all in one place were you running all around the country and i mean who's doing the logistics who's doing the right the, the naming of the teams and the who's doing the recruiting of the players and the coaches. I mean, I just let us in on some of that. I know the book sort of sure. gets into that, but. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't dive in, into too much of the nuances of every person who did what, 
But uh, Wayne Marino, he was um, a legendary coach in the uh, L.A. area. Um, he was our um, one of the directors who kind of handled like the picking out of the of the the coaches and the getting the arenas and all that kind of situated. Um, that was kind of what his 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 role was. And then you had Brianna Sims, um, who she was from Dallas. She ended up moving out to the L.A. area. So you had some people that were stationed out there. Myself, I was still teaching. So I was you know, working like, you know, literally around the clock, you know, I had to teach, but I was still kind of doing stuff while I was teaching. And then when I got, got off, I had to work, you know, from the time I got off till nighttime till it's time to go to bed um, until my, my teaching duties were over. Um, and then Alan Bell, um, who goes by AB the Hero, he was one of the other guys, he's my, my commentating partner. He was uh, living in Indiana at the time. Um, so some of us were kind of scattered around. So to answer your question about whether we were in cubicles and in an office, you know, I can't even speak to exactly what Brianna and also Rondrea, um, what, what, who were in L.A. I don't know where they were working out of, to be honest with you. Um, but they were in L.A. at the time. I was at home. Alan uh, Bell was at home. And we just had a we, we did a ton of um, of uh, conference calls, a ton of um, group chats. Um, it, it was, uh, it was, it was definitely not ideal. Um, you know, you definitely need a bare minimum six months, ideally a year to do something like what we were doing. Um, but a month and a half to be able to do what we did in a month and a half, I, I still think it's pretty remarkable. Um, even, uh, even it was, even with all the stress and exhaustion that it caused, um, I think that just mainly spoke to the passion that we all had to make sure that we, we completed the task, which, you know, we end up doing All right, what's this? DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, welcome to the proceedings, DraftKings Sportsbook. Hey, if you're a college football fan like I am, uh, you probably already got your uh, palate uh, teased by uh, some very interesting Week Zero games this weekend. And uh, as you're listening to this episode, going into the Labor Day weekend, you know the college football season starts in earnest this Thursday and just rolls right on through uh, all the way to a game, I think a solo game on Monday night, uh, Clemson at Duke on uh, the 4th of September. So what better way to get in the groove than to find your best sports book offering? And that's, of course, DraftKings Sportsbook. And if you're ready for week one like I am, hey, DraftKings Draft Sportsbook, he says, man, it's hard to say all this stuff. They're ready to hook you up with a can't miss offer to start the season strong. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. So, you know, life is uh, more fun when you're in on the action. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code GOODSEATS and make sure that you get $200 in bonus bets. Bonus bets. Yes, he said that. Bonus bets instantly. You try to do this, friends. It's not so simple. When you bet just $5, 5 bucks on college football. And again, it's only on DraftKings Sportsbook. Use the code GOODSEATS. Hey, DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. <sighs> Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling by calling 
789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas. 21 plus of age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See dkng.co slash football for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. <sighs> now, back to our conversation. So you were part of uh, uh, the, the PR, but you're also part of the broadcasts. How, how were those set up and, and where were these arenas being found and how are they being paid for and, and all that kind of stuff? And I'm guessing the big baller brand was kind of sort of the engine somehow yes. behind it, right? Because it was that was in theory was generating some some revenue from merchandise and, 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 and such. Yes. So big baller brand, essentially, we, we essentially were funding the majority of the league on our own. We did have uh, Facebook, who was our our partner in terms of like um, TV, if you want to call it. Um, but they were they were our our production partner. So we streamed our games uh, on the Facebook Watch platform. Um, so I got to go to the Facebook studios um, in LA, and um, and I met with our our liaison basically and some of the other staff uh, from Facebook that was supposed to that was going to help us with it. So they they financed a little bit of it. Um, but it was in, it was primarily financed by a uh, big baller brand itself. Um, you know, so we played in, you know, a lot of professional arenas, uh, arenas that the G League played in WNBA, uh, some uh, college arenas. Um, but that was supposed to be the the draw. This is a legit pro league. We're playing in in legit arenas like that was supposed to be, you know, the calling card to this whole thing. And and, and, and there were some missteps in, in that, uh, to be honest with you. But. You know that was what the the draw and the appeal was supposed to be. No, I and look, I I know like circa I guess it was like maybe December 2017 when it really was sort of sort of kind of announced that this thing was uh, uh, gonna happen and 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 obviously there were plenty of naysayers and also frankly a whole bunch of folks who said yeah this is like this is this is it the time has come NCAA needs some some challenge and some reform and all that kind of stuff so uh, the 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 uh, publicity both negative and positive right. It's the proverbial, there's no bad publicity, right? Especially when things are getting going, people are buzzing, people are talking, people sort of latch on to the idea. Um, but I guess this is maybe a more pointed question for you, given that you were sort of dealing with communications and media and PR and all that kind of stuff. Um, how do you or do you or can you handle LeVar in all of this, right? Because, you know, obviously he's he's a one-man kind of show and he's right. going to be doing what he's going to be doing. Right. And that could be a lot of promise and not a lot of delivery or saying that things are going to do this and that. And, and maybe the home office is going, wait a minute, how are we going to do all that? How, how do you, he's probably your best advocate and your, your, your biggest draw, but he's also probably your biggest liability too. If he steps awry or says things that don't you know necessarily come to fruition. Well, what I can say is, you know, LeVar pretty much stuck to the script. You know, he had his own way of saying it. Um, but whatever the talking point was, like he made sure to get the message out exactly how we wanted it to. Now, what I will say and what I wish that, you know, we would have done looking back at it was that if we actually had somebody who was experienced in PR, uh, especially um, from you know the, the outset, you know, we would have probably it probably would have helped a little bit. Um, because that was where I, I struggled mightily, and I and I spoke about those struggles in the book um, in in detail. Um, I literally had no idea what all that that entailed 
with doing with actually doing PR the right way. But only not not only that, I had I just had too many hats to wear. You know, I was I was a in-game commentator. Number I mean, like imagine, you know, calling two games a night. Uh, so that's four, four plus hours of my time. Then you have to prep for that. Um, I was doing social media. I actually had to set up the live streams just for us to be on Facebook uh, for our games to even be watched. I was responsible for that. Um, I had to to write the bios for the players. Like there were so many things that a lot of people just didn't know that I did specifically. Um, so if we needed someone just solely for PR and that's your job, you are the PR person for the league and your your job is to make sure that all eyes and all ears know about the JBA and it, the message gets out. Like, I wish that we could have had that from day one. Uh, Cause I really felt like we missed a lot on that. I think, you know, and I, I don't know this as fact, but I think, you know, from knowing, you know, Allen and, and the, and the brass there was that LaVar and big baller brand is such a big name that if we just speak it and we just put a 15 second video on Instagram or whatever on Twitter like the people will come. They'll just show up because, you know, it's LaVar, it's LaMelo and it's Big Baller brand, but it just doesn't work like that. You know, you need, we need it. We need it again, a bare minimum six months, three months just to be nice. Uh, Would have been great because we could have had a street team to get in all these different eight cities and do some, some marketing and really get the fans to make them feel like they had another team. I mean, just look at what the XFL, the USFL, all these guys are doing. They took a lot of time to build up these cities individually and they they giving out you know swag um, at certain events, um, you know letting them know the history about this this team and and whatever like this is your your next team or if, even if you are a a, a a Miami Dolphins fan you know we have a or a, a Buccaneers fan we have a team in Tampa or whatever um, you know but this is your other team when they're not playing you know and it just gives somebody else something to feel you know proud about and we would have had people that would have I mean we had people that showed up. We had some some uh, cities that showed up really nicely, you know, considering. Um, but that was a misstep that I felt like, you know, we could have done a whole lot better at. Um, and of course, you know, looking back, hindsight is twenty twenty. But um, you know, it was it was it was just not enough time, and um, the planning could have been a whole lot better, in my opinion. Yeah, look, I you know, it's it's also pretty interesting too because I mean, we're having this conversation in the summer of twenty twenty three, right, and. Uh, while it seems like it was not that long ago, I mean, 2018 for the the full, the one and only uh, to date JBA season uh, and the lead up of that, right? Um, th- that's not a long time ago, right? But it, in many respects, stuff has happened at such a, a fiercely, vol- uh, uh, um, a, a fierce velocity of change, right? Private equity has gotten into sports and there's been just an explosion post the, the pandemic and stuff with pickleball leagues and uh, mm-hmm. athletes unlimited with, for, 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 uh, uh, you know, women's sports and, and uh, just the minor leagues being brought, brought into the major league baseball thing. And, you know, all these other, you know, uh, challenger leagues, so to speak, kind of, you know, with, with, you know, the big three and, and, you know, premier league lacrosse doing a kind of a tour thing. And it's just, it's been an explosion. It's almost like this was, almost a tad bit too soon. You wonder, right, if there had been a little bit more lead time, right, if you had had, let's say, a year and maybe do a, a demonstration season, you know, have four teams and 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 do a little bit of a tour around the country and stuff, right? I, you clearly did not have that luxury. And all, frankly, seems like they didn't either, 
for whatever reasons. But um, th- there's no doubt, though, that that you couldn't do much more than you did in such a short period of time. Yeah, I mean, I still marvel at, you know, what we were able to accomplish. And, you know, one of the things that I always speak to when people ask me or kind of, you know, infer about some of this stuff is, you know, the first thing is we completed the season. You know, I was talking to somebody recently on another uh, podcast. You know, you had the AFL a few years ago where they started and then they had to, you know, stop the season. After oh, you like mean the, the AAC, games. the uh, Alliance of American Football? The uh, Yeah, AAFL, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, you know, but we, we went through the full season, had an all-star game, had a playoffs, and we even did a spinoff international tour. You know, so regardless of whether we did a second season or not, you know, we still completed and accomplished, you know, from start to finish from one from from day one of the season. We finished the the, the full season um, with all those things that I just mentioned, all the things that you just, you know, elocuted yourself, you know, needing additional time, um, better marketing, you know, bigger staff, you know, all of these different factors that go into this. You know, we still managed to make it through um to the end to, to the end um and that's not that's not an easy feat or task i mean yeah. it, it was very difficult now let's talk about that for a second because i mean uh you had uh eight cities right um was it eight or ten ten eight. cities um was it eight cities uh, yeah eight teams i'm sorry but there were uh, ten different uh arenas I, i'm sorry i get that mixed up but this was all across the country you were in seattle and in Las Vegas and in, in metropolitan Los Angeles, you had teams in New York and DC and Chicago and Atlanta, Datu in Texas. Um, j- j- the travel alone had to be uh, absolutely insane, right? Uh, pricing tickets, uh, oh, how that gets done, right? Um, but but frankly, I mean, you look at the the um, you know, indeed, all these games. You it looks like that you played double headers and stuff, and. And, mm-hmm. and trying to kind of keep, but give give us a sense of sort of what it was like. This was how long of a period of time was this? Like how long was the season? Uh, what was sort of like the game, uh, the day of game kind of thing? How how many people were you seeing in the stands? Uh, right. You know that kind of stuff. Give us a little bit of a a feel of what what the games were actually like. Yeah. So. <laughs> You know, it's funny you, you mentioned the travel. Um, you know, so the the season itself was a little bit over two months, somewhere around that time frame. Um, and it was the 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 word that I'll summarize it all up was just exhausting. The whole season was just so exhausting due to that type of travel. And personally, I never did that type of travel ever. You know, I obviously flew on a plane. You know, you know, quite a few times. But you know, you get a, a, a newfound respect for a lot of these athletes who. Um, or whoever might do this, but definitely these athletes who go and and they they perform one night, even entertainers, they perform one night and then have to go and perform the next night. You know, so for me as a, as a broadcaster, you know, and you're not used to talking for that long. Um, like I said, one game is is two hours because we were playing like NBA rules, 48 minutes. So one game is two plus hours. And then you got to go right back, <laughs> back to back and cover another, uh, do another game. Uh, for another two plus hours. So that's essentially four and a half to five hours worth of talking time. And for example, our first few days, we started June 21st in uh, Ontario, California at Citizens Business Bank Arena. Uh, We had two games and we flew to Houston uh, for the June 23rd 
so two games there. And then our first back-to-back was the next night in Seattle. And there was a huge story. Definitely got to check the book out for that. Uh, but so that was my first like big taste because I, I never did travel like that. Um, and then to answer your question about the um, the arenas, you know, there was a misstep in my opinion. And, you know, a lot of us amongst the staff kind of talked about this where, you know, you price the tickets extremely too high. I mean, $99 essentially was like the going rate for a ticket. And you, you, you can, you can, you can, you, you can go to an NBA game sometime as little as 20, 15, depending on how bad the team is. And this upstart league was charging $99. And I, I feel like we dropped the ball hugely in that department um, you know, because you show up to the first game, it, it was it was okay. You know, it was right there in the LA area. You know, Lamelo was playing his first game on American soil in a long time. You know, so there was a little bit of, of excitement, but not to the the tune it probably could have been in a much smaller you know space with much cheaper tickets. Uh, but then you go to Houston the next game, and there's literally nobody there, <laughs> like nobody. Now I'm exaggerating. There were people, but in a five thousand Division one uh, college arena, you know, we may have had, and I don't know the exact gate numbers, but from an eyeball test, there may have been a hundred people, maybe. And that's being nice. Uh, so that was pretty deflating. And then we fly to Seattle the next night, uh, and we were at cure arena. Um, and it about the same, uh, maybe a hundred, maybe 150. So we were trying to like, you know, run promotions, you know, as the season was going and say, okay, uh, half off, if you do this, uh, we'll slice slash the ticket prices. Um, you can get in free if you do that. Like we were trying to, um, you know, t- on the fly, like trying to, you know, make things happen. Um, but the 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 atmosphere, you know, started to kind of pick up. You know, Chicago was probably our first taste of okay, we we have something here. Like that was a Chicago. I'm not sure how. Um, I think are you from Chicago? Yeah, northern suburbs. So yeah, Wintrust yeah. Arena, right downtown. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So we went to Wintrust and like the Chicago fans, like they were, that's just a great city for, for sports. I mean, they really, they were the first ones who like really let us know, okay, we might have something here. And it wasn't like packed out there, but it was a decent crowd. We, we actually profited for the first time um, at the gate. Um, But they were, they were loud. They were just so passionate. And we're like, y'all don't even know a lot of these players on this team. But the fact that they were they, they said Chicago on the back of the jersey and the front of the jersey, like they just came out and just were just fired up. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, but you know, the travel of it all, it was really what made me really appreciate, you know, what any professional uh does um that has to do something like that. Um, trying to call a game, trying to be energetic, you know. Uh, trying to make sure your voice is there, trying to make sure your mental is there. Like the mental aspect um, was really the part that drained me the most. Um, you know, so I had, a, I had a huge appreciation for the players, for, you know, broadcasting people who do this. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it, it was, it was quite the experience. So you're doing, it looks like you did double headers uh, each stop along the way, but only, Double yes. headers only meant four teams out of the eight, right? So what were the other eight teams doing? They were, excuse me, the other four teams doing, they were going to the next uh, venue and then you would meet yes. up with them and just kind of just repeat the process of like a rolling thunder kind of thing. Correct. Yeah. So 
for example, if uh, we had two or, or four teams playing in Houston, for example, and the next one was in uh, Seattle or whatever, then typically the other teams would be, if they, if they were playing, they would already be in Seattle. Or if n- neither team played um, in Houston or Seattle and the next one was in Chicago, then that team would already be in Chicago, for example. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of how that works. So it was a lot of travel that 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 took place, a lot of airline miles that got that racked up. <laughs> was there any discussion ever about having actual nicknames for the team aside from the team for the name Ballers for all, for all of them? No. <laughs> yeah, that I, was I'm, already... trying to, I'm trying to figure out if that was genius or just uh, or desperation. Yeah, I, I wish I had like on the record who uh, was the actual person that that came up with that. I have an idea, but I don't know as a fact. Um, but yeah, that uh, I, I, I kind of wish that <laughs> it's kind of funny because now I like now that it's already there, like you kind of appreciate it. But you like look back it's like, man, like why was everybody like named the exact same thing other than the city name? Um, but yeah, that uh, <laughs> like you said, is either is either genius or not so much, depending on how you look at it. Uh, and let me ask you this: So a lot of people uh, uh, threw brick bats at uh, at Lavar and the whole process, right? For uh, essentially, kind of really giving most of the spotlight, if not all of it, if you will, to uh, to the uh, to the Ball brothers um, in terms of uh, you know versus say the other players and and not showcasing them as much as. Uh, as the balls, but um, what was that like? Because I, I got to think that any game, any double header, where if there wasn't a ball playing, uh, it was probably even a tougher draw because of that. Yeah, so I have um, I have some thoughts on that. Um, you know, I, I go into a little bit more detail in the book. Um, what I will say is that he was present for every game, and I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't prepared for him to be present at all the games. Um, that his sons weren't going to be playing in. Um, I do think that we could have did a better job of showcasing more of the players, not to say that we didn't. Um, but for example, you know, Facebook, they were, you know, they knew who the draw was. Um, Lamella was going to be the draw. We named him the marquee player before he even dribbled a ball in our league, but we knew that, you know, he was, you know, he had two point whatever million Instagram followers at that time. Um, extremely popular with uh, the demographic that we were trying to attract. Um, so we kind of had to play, you know, our, our superstar card um, while still trying to introduce, you know, the fans to some of these players that they never heard of, um, you know, but I think it was a little bit difficult, at least for me to kind of, you know, see the commissioner um, kind of openly root for um, a team in the league um, understanding that, yes, your sons do play on it. Um, but I, I think that it could have been done a better way um, just so that you don't have people that that kind of tried to make it seem like we did something unethical. Because there was a few people that tried to make it seem like we were trying to inflate stats for LaMelo or or make the L.A. team you know better than what they were, which was which is completely false and untrue. Um, but when you have stuff like that, it kind of uh, kind of opens the door for people to kind of make those types of claims. You know, so again, you know, there's there's some missteps, you know, that I feel like, you know, if if we could do it all over again or have a second season and say, hey, you know, LeVar, these are just some things that we probably think we could probably do better. Let's kind of refrain from this and let's kind of, you know, stick to to that. Um, having those conversations, I think that he would have been open to some of that. Um, but, you know, we just didn't have that opportunity. 
Well, we're going to obviously encourage people to to get the book because there's a whole lot more sort of uh, underneath the surface there. And, and you know, the, the, I'm sure there's some comical and, and interesting things and frankly, some some things that are still questionable in, in certain people's minds. Right. I, I guess I would sort of um, sort of generally sort of say, what, how do you given all of that and given the craziness of it and given the relatively lightly attended uh, part of it, you did get a season under your belt. But how do you and then the people that you work with, perhaps maybe LeVar, I don't know how much you keep in touch with them or whatever, but what is your sense of things like Overtime Elite and the G League Ignite thing and stuff, right? It's um, on one level, it's got to be it's got to feel like justification, right? Like, you know what? We were on to something and we were on the right path here. Perhaps it wasn't executed fully to the way we should have. Perhaps it was a little too early before it's time, but then there's got to be also a point where you're kind of like, just kind of just upset, angry, a, a bit uh, bitter, if you will, that this success wasn't yours uh, and now is being benefited by these other two entities and maybe more to come. Um, I, don't, I don't look at it like that. Um, and I can, but I can see how it, it can definitely be you know perceived that way. You know, I, I think what we did was open up the door, um, regardless of, you know, how far we could have gone with it. You know, that obviously, you know, is a, is a thing in the past. And, and I wish that we would have had an opportunity. But I think us kind of showing the people that it can be done and there's a blueprint to it. And and if you do take the proper time and to, to, to analyze and research and, and kind of, you know, formulate it better, it can be successful. And we're seeing that, you know, play out right in front of us. Um, you know, I think, you know, LeVar probably just wanted to make sure that, you know, his boys, um, you know, just had a had a path to get to where they needed to go. Um, and, you know, if it lasted a season in his mind, you know, hey, it is what it is. I did my job. Um, but from a, a, a more macro type lens or whatever, um, you know, I don't look at it and say, man, you know, why do they have to do this? Or why didn't the, the overtime elite, you know, why don't they give us credit? I mean, you know, what what's understood doesn't have to be explained, you know, and that's where I come in to say, you know what, more power to, to, to the G league, more power to the overtime elite, but just remember who started it. Just remember who was the first to dare to do it. Regardless if you may have had an idea to, 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 to do it, you didn't do it before we did, you know, we, we, we were the ones who, who you know, took a chance and said, you know what, regardless if it works or not, we're going to at least show people that this is something that's long overdue. This is something that, you know, other countries have been doing in, in a lot of ways, you know, having, you know, amateurs, you know, you know, play professionally, you know, we should have already had this on American soil, you know, years, years before we even did it, you know, but LeVar Ball, big ball of brand, the JBA league was the first to say, you know what, we're going to be the ones to do it. And the individuals, you know, who were a part of it, the players, the coaches, you know, the 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 JBA staff, the interns, all of us were the ones, you know, who, you know, thought enough of it to to sacrifice our entire summer, our families, uh, our friends, our children, whatever, um, to make sure that it happened, so that the G League and so that the overtime elites and whatever league might come after that can have something, and it benefits everybody, you know, and our story will be told. You know, there. Who knows what comes from this? Who knows if you know? I continue to do more podcasts. Other people start telling their story. 
and maybe we can get a documentary or whatever. Who knows? But I do want to make sure that we're not forgotten. Um, and I don't I don't think we will be. I think that, you know, you're at some point, somebody's going to have to point back and say, you know what? I think that the G League did this, but somebody else did this for who was that? Oh, that's that LeVar Ball guy. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever happened with that. And then now you have someone like myself and others that can that can kind of give more information um, and go into even more depth about, you know, what all it took just to get it off the ground. All right. Last question. Given what you experienced, given the the pioneering spirit and and what you were able to achieve uh, with this JBA, what do you think the future of NCAA basketball is? And do we think that there's going to be more challenge and or alternate paths to the NCAA? It just seems like the and it just seems like the NCAA is is. Uh, on the ropes on a whole lot of different fronts right now. Yeah, and and I think that's the reason why they started to loosen up some of the their 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 reins because I think more of these types of of situations were going to happen. You saw Lamelo, you know, and others going overseas to play uh, professional basketball. Um, he went to um, Australia to play in the NBL. Um, other players, you know, followed suit. You know, not as many, but you know, you started to see that path. You know. You know, so you you bring the NIL in to say, you know what, let's go ahead and just bite the bullet on this. We've we've profited and and made you know hand over fist money uh, for years. You know, kind of being the monopoly, we can kind of let the players kind of get a piece of the pie as well. You know, so let them let them make money off their name, image, and likeness if it means that we can still eat a big large pot. Because otherwise, what? Why wouldn't these these conferences just disband from the NCAA and just you know, band together and just play each other without, you know, having this big entity trying to rule over them, you know? So I think at some point it might get to that. Um, but this at least slows down the process. Um, but, you know, the JBA and and all these other leagues that are starting to come up uh, or come or that have come and, and, uh, and been, been, been around, you know, they will uh, kind of make sure that uh, the NCAA kind of stays on its toes, but I don't think that, you know, with with there's so many so much tradition with all these, with a lot of these universities, um, it'll be very difficult for um, for them to kind of you know for for people to kind of just you know go a different route other than the typical college route. Yeah, but, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's gonna be interesting. I mean, you look at the last uh, NBA draft. I mean, there's there's plenty of overtime elites that were were chosen uh, relatively high, right. right? So I guess the proof is going to be in the pudding as to how many of these players uh, make it and stick. And then make some kind of impact in the NBA going forward, or or even international leagues that uh, you know aim to also feed into the NBA too. Right. Well, I think it needed to be on uh, on American soil. I mean, you know, we're you know the most popular sports you know country basically with a lot of you know different sports that we offer. But you know, for you know basketball and football and all these different sports that are you know popularized you know here, especially you know there had to be something that started over here. You know. Um, you know, so for, you know, the JBA lead to be the first of its kind to do so in, on American soil, especially, you know, I think, like I said, it just opens up the door for so many others to kind of come in and say, you know what, we may not need to be as as large as um, as the NBA or overtime elite or whomever. But, you know, we can still offer, you know, a lot of the similar stuff that uh, that uh, they do and compensate and and give an alternative path and be reputable. Um, so I don't I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think you know, we're starting to see a little bit more of that here in the future. 
All right. Our thanks to Brandon. Very interesting stuff. Uh, Hard to believe that this is a five-year-old story and so much has happened since then. Uh, And the book uh, is really detailed and gets into a whole bunch of other things that we had no time to talk about. Uh, around uh, this league, a little bit of the of the startup, how it got into into formation and stuff, but literally some of the day by day, week by week uh, craziness, frankly, uh, of what this junior basketball association was. Technically, still is, but arguably, is probably not coming back. Not not in a world where overtime elite exists quite successfully. A lot of picks in the NBA draft this season uh, from that league, uh, or as long as the G League. Uh, and in particular, its uh, Ignite franchise uh, exists. I can't imagine there won't be any further places for uh, talented kids uh, in hoops who want to uh, either have an alternative to high school or college to get on people's radars in the NBA. And, um, you know, the Lord knows what's going to happen with the NBA and basketball, too. So uh, the book uh, must get, must read, must enjoy. It's called the JBA League. A League of Our Own by our guest this week, Brandon Williams. Uh, it is available in uh, paperback and Kindle formats. Uh, you can get it wherever you find good books, Amazon, of course. And uh, if you'd like to do us a favor and give us a couple of shekels of referral love, well, go to our website, why don't you, at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Search up this episode number 315 with our guest, Brandon Williams, and you will see a convenient link or two or three to this book uh, and uh, you will be whisked away to Amazon and you will get it probably as humanly as fast as humanly possible uh, and uh, we'll get a, literally a couple of nickels or times uh, and that uh, goes into our tip jar uh, to keep our lights on and we appreciate that very much while you're there at goodseatstillavailable.com you can search up every single stinking episode we've ever done uh, they're all there for you. You can download them. You can share them with friends, whatever you want. All the links to the various media that uh, uh, might be touted in those episodes are are there, too, for you. Uh, and uh, all the episodes to come, of course, will be located there. Of course, the best way to ensure that you get every single episode is to subscribe or follow us wherever you get podcasts. Literally everywhere you can get them, except for Stitcher, which I think is closing down this week. So if you've been subscribing to us there at Stitcher, well, better find another place to get podcasts. Toot sweet, because they're not going to be around as far as as, when you get this episode. I don't think Stitcher exists anymore. So but the good news is there are only about 700 other places you can get podcasts. So if you haven't subscribed or followed us on whatever manner you're choosing to get podcasts, do it now. And by the way, while you're there, check to see if they've got ratings and reviews. And if they do, give us a five star, will you? Give us a give us a, a, a thank you or a a, a nice uh, sort of a dollop of praise. We appreciate that, and that helps whatever algorithms are out there uh, to to have potentially get this show in front of other people who, like you, might enjoy the proceedings. Uh, our email address is hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Uh, you can follow us on uh, Twitter at Good Seat Still. I think it's also called X, whatever it is this week, whatever Elon and, and Linda have up their sleeves for changing what was a fairly decent platform. As far as uh, we know, we'll still be on there, but uh, good, at Good Seat Still, that's where you'll find us there. Uh, on uh, Instagram, you'll find us at Good Seats Still Available, and you'll find us also uh, on Facebook at Good Seats Still Available. By the way, you can also follow uh, Brandon on Twitter uh, as well at uh, Talking with Fresh. So that's Talking without the G with Fresh, all one word. Talking with Fresh at 
talking with Fresh. Uh, and you can also find him at uh, Brandon Williams Author. Dot com. That's all one word. Brandon Williams, author.com. And uh, what else? Our thanks to uh, our pal Jerry Payne. Jerry Payne, audio excellence. I think he needs a jingle. And uh, we thank you, of course, for listening. And uh, until next week, I wish you a cool and uh, fun uh, rest of the summer. There you go. Bye bye.